Hello everyone, happy new year to you all and welcome back to Luxembourg if you've been away and you're now returning here. Welcome everyone who's listening in other countries. I hope you all had a restful holiday season, time to relax, think, recuperate, perhaps uh, get a couple of house jobs done and perhaps just catching up on a Netflix series you didn't know you would get hooked on. That was the case with me, I certainly got through a couple of them. So here we are, another year laid out before us and no real idea what and where it will lead to. So I've got a studio full of lovely ladies. So let me quickly introduce you to them. Of course, you will all recognise our wonderful Sasha Kyo, who is the resident newsreader, news presenter, news guru of The Samstein Show and RTL Today. We've also got Liz Brewer and Lainey Jane McCormack, who are going to talk to us about fashion and their world of fashion, because, of course, it is a huge world. So, ladies, Happy New Year to you all. Happy New Year. Did you have a nice holiday season? Yes. Yes, it's my favourite season, so I love it. That's very good. Any New Year's resolutions? I don't believe in them. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the best way. We've all broken our New Year's resolutions already on the morning show, so it's it's pointless, isn't it? what, what, What were they? I missed that. Well, Sam obviously was going to not eat Nutella biscuits for breakfast. He cracked on the first day. Oh, well, he has to get up early. That's yes. understandable. Totally understandable. Poor Sam. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, I, th- I, I agree. I think New Year's resolutions are totally overrated. OK, OK. But you had a good holiday season. <laughs> Excellent holiday. That's good. So we're here back. Uh, so much more to talk about. The news never ends. And Sasha, I'm going to talk to you first about the news. But I listen to the radio this morning and we're recording this on the Friday of course as we usually do did you know that tomorrow's called Sunshine Saturday I did not and do you know why no why apparently people start booking their summer holidays tomorrow right en masse <laughs> so tomorrow in this grey sky that we have today people sit there logging on things <laughs> where would I like to go so tomorrow is Sunshine Saturday I think that's actually really sensible I'm quite I'm quite tempted I know it is very grey out there isn't it's it it's really grey and um, yeah it's all those organised people who know what they're going to do yes. plan six months in advance but anyway I thought that was a nice little fact to throw in there <laughs> I also read somewhere although I haven't got it to date um, the ten phrases that some university came up with that we shouldn't say this year I'll try and Pick that out. I'll try and find that and uh, bring it in for next time. It was quite funny. I thought you'd you'd there's, there's lots too. of phrases that irritate people, aren't there? That's right. And and these were ten of the top ones, and they were really funny. But I forgot oh, to, to to write them down because, of course, I can't remember them. I read them, but I can't. <laughs> I have a, a memory that kind of takes in uh, on a need to know basis. And <laughs> anyway, let's turn to the news again. It never ends, and the new year brings with it a lot of New Year's speeches, for instance. Yes, absolutely. So political leaders use the opportunity to make speeches and I listened to quite a few of them and of course the one that stands out by miles was President Zelensky's uh, speech it was I don't know if you heard or saw some of it it was quite extraordinary do you think his acting skills come into play here they must do and I don't know if he writes his own speeches um, but it was so effective I mean uh, Maybe maybe from being an actor and being around, you know, the way he stood in darkness, there was a Ukrainian flag behind him, but only, you could only just make it out. And he can speak. You're giving me goosebumps. He can speak. Well, it. it gave me goosebumps, I have to say. He can speak straight into the camera. And the way it was written, it was so effective. I mean, very emotional speech. Uh, it was... That, you know, it showed some of the, the big events of the Ukraine war. And he had phrases that, you know... Are, 
unforgettable. Like, you know, he was saying, we need victory in 2023. But instead of sort of saying that, he said, it's impossible to forget, it's impossible to forgive, but it is possible to win. You know, sort oh, of three short... Using the Roman... Yes, yes the three... the rhetoric, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> so it was a very affecting speech. I'm, I'm not Ukrainian, but I mean, I would, would have followed him to the ends of the earth, you feel. And it can, it's been very unfairly, or not unfairly, but it has been compared to, of course, President Putin's speech, which is a very staged affair with, they believe, actors standing behind him. It always looks very false, doesn't it? And um, a very, you know, he, he does look sort of heavily Botoxed and kind of a wax figure. Um, and also talking about victory and a necessary war. Yeah. Um, so the two compared was quite extraordinary, I think. Absolutely. And I really feel, I, I try to always put myself into the other person's mindset, yes. so the Russian citizen's mind, because they are fed such a different media to us. And I saw a little clip of it on their New Year's celebrations. And it's, for us, it looks very false, but that's their normal I know you, you've got the new normal bureau. That's what right, you set up. Right. But uh, we, we're living yeah. in our own normal, whatever our own normal mm. is. And I, and I actually had a very interesting chat with one of my London friends when I was over in England uh, for Christmas, and she was really telling me about things she'd read from the Russian side. And she's not Russian at all, uh, yes. absolute Londoner. Um, but but it's it, I always try to get the other perspective and where this has come from. But it's not easy. It's not easy to to get that historical view until everything is finished and we're years ahead of it. Yes, and it's being sold to the Russians as a as a sort of existential, necessary fight, isn't it? Um, which I guess yes, you have not necessarily a reason to disbelieve. Well, my friend in London was saying that um, if we look back in the years that have come, this didn't come out of nowhere and there are certain Russian reasons. Yes, why of course. Happened. We won't get into yes. We won't get into the politics of it, but yes, because that's a completely other conversation. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so maybe we should move but to Prime did, Minister Bettel's Yes, we did speech. like Zelensky's speech though. Now, moving from Zelensky to Bettel, he is also a great showman. He is, isn't he? <laughs> yes. And a very good, uh, has a very good speechwriter or, or is very comfortable in interviews. This was actually an interview rather than a And speech. he has a TV background as well. Does he? I yes, know Tango, that. Tango TV. Oh, was he? Yes. Ah, mm-hmm. Okay, that, that, that makes sense. And he's a great fashionista, don't you think? He wears a scarf well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. We only have to do that. We know what you mean, Lisa. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, Bettel's speech. It's a whole new trend, isn't it? So, um, I mean, the, the takeaways was that he said, uh, you know, it was a a crazy year, 2022. He looked back and just said that there's been no year in, in politics or the world like it. And he kind of hopes that the next year will be more peaceful, that there will be peace in Ukraine. Um, but he has also indicated that if he is re-elected, he will remain in Luxembourg because there have been questions about Mr. Bettel, whether he isn't one would Half hope looking so, wouldn't they? The if, if you're leading a country, you'd remain in the country. <laughs> well, no, if he's re-elected, uh, yes. Um, but, you know, there, there, there have been questions whether he's not eyeing up a, a top job in the EU. Um, but he said he had been offered uh, a job, um, the job that currently Charles Michel as, is doing as the European Commission president. Uh, sorry, not European Commission president, European president. And um, that he will stay on. But there is a big question on whether he will be re-elected because obviously we're in coalition politics. Um, so the LSRP is is following closely on on heels. And if Paulette Leonard, the health current health minister, is elected as the leader of this party, it's a very likely that she 
could become our next prime minister. But he didn't address that in his uh, interview. That's just me going going off subject. Well, not off subject at all. But I can see that our year ahead here in Luxembourg will be highly filled with the elections to come because we have the dual election, we have the local communal elections and the general election as well. So yeah. you, you can tell we're in election year because his his interview was jumped on by all the uh, oppose, you know, opposing politicians and criticised by the Greens and criticised, yes. But so we're, we're in electioneering mode now. Yeah, so uh, exciting times ahead. Now, um, we had some very sad news when we did have a series of articles on RTL today speaking about education in Luxembourg and I know with Liz we're going to talk a bit about that as well but this is very serious this is about violence and bullying and various other topics as well but let's yeah well it seems seems to be on the rise according to the sort of parent represented representatives uh, it that bullying seems to be on the rise in schools and violent assaults and they said that they get six calls a day which for Luxembourg is a lot um, of people complaining and that it is ignored pretty much within the schools or or within the authorities. Um, So that's something that really urgently needs to be addressed, doesn't it? I fully agree. And, you know, we have children in the system here. And I, I do know, as my comparison, which is Ireland and the UK, there is not strong pastoral care in the system here and parents are kept at arm's length and we're not involved in the educational system here. In the UK, for example, parents are hugely involved, sometimes too involved, yes. you know, and we have to do so much and there's the Harvest Festival and about 20 sheets a week that you have to fill out for something or other. But at least you feel like it's community. Yes. And I think all of that, we're missing that that community and that sense of, of shared responsibility. And as so many people have said, and uh, Hillary Clinton famously said, it takes a village to raise a child. You know, it's, it's not a... It's not her phrase, but it's a phrase that it, it's so important. It takes all of us to keep an eye out for our children's, communally, children's welfare. Yes, and I think the uh, the school authorities, they, they do have an issue of keeping up with the changing... Uh, nature of of the population in Luxembourg. You know, there are so many different nationalities. There are so many children coming from different backgrounds, from different countries, that there's bound to be tension, more tension maybe here than than one would expect. And one one of the other big complaints was that the one of the parent representatives that um, said that there should be no need for these separate schools, the European schools and the international schools. There should be a place for people from all nationalities or whatever linguistic backgrounds that they come to go into the Luxembourgish school system. Because he, right, I think, rightly said, these children have n- no um, contact with Luxembourgish whatsoever, which I know from my children who went to the European school. You know, you don't learn a word of Luxembourgish. And that seems a really big missed opportunity. Yes, uh, the word was ghettoisation. Um, yes. uh, the president of the National Representation of Parents said that European and international schools can lead to ghettoisation. Though I think in some international schools, and I know because I, I lived abroad as well, I, I know with the British schools, and I'm sure it's the same with the American schools, they're, they're the most common international schools, um, you do generally have to learn the language of the country you're in. And so I 
don't actually know. I'm sure somebody will write in and tell us and I can go and research it, whether St George's and ISL, for example, here in Luxembourg, they would have a Luxembourgish class at least. But you're right, the European schools weirdly don't. They don't. And those are the schools that the Luxembourg government is follow, you know, has opened a series of new schools, haven't they, following that curriculum. So there are these uh, six um, international school European international schools which are actually funded by the government and there they're not their children are not learning Luxembourgish so that's that's quite quite interesting that well Xavier Bettel went to the European school yes <laughs> he did somehow learn Luxembourgish then he did he? yes he did indeed absolutely so so many stories what should we pick next um, well I, I guess we have to talk about Harry because um, <laughs> We seem to talk about him every week uh, for I people know. who don't want to be in the media spotlight. My word, we talk about them a lot. I know. I know. I know the irony here is quite huge, isn't yes. it? Um, but I suppose given that the book is coming out next week and has already been released by the Spanish press. Isn't that funny that they're in, in England, they are take they're having to translate it from the Spanish version to, to and that was The Guardian had a, an exclusive uh, yesterday uh, about this fight that he had with his brother, Prince William. And um, it was taken from the Spanish version of the book and apparently Prince William attacked Prince Harry, told him some home truths about uh, what he thought of Meghan Markle and knocked him to the ground, broke his necklace and uh, Prince Harry fell onto the dog bowl, which then broke. So it's quite an entertaining fight, really, because a lot of the reactions, especially in the UK, who are quite, the press is quite mean, isn't it? Saying, well, they're brothers. I know, that that was my thought. I know, when when I was, uh, you know, reading about, listening about this fight, I was thinking, isn't that normal sibling behaviour between two brothers? How can you go your entire life without having a fight? That's where we learn our diplomatic skills in our home playground. Yes, yes. Well, you know, he obviously felt very offended by it. We haven't read, we've only read the excerpts. And today there was revelations that uh, he has admitted to take, you know, multiple drug use, including taking cocaine once. So this story is going to run and run and run and until, I suppose, the coronation, will they, won't they attend the king's coronation in May? Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's still a huge story. It is. And it's obviously front page news in the UK yep. all the time and will be for ages. But I love the kind of the no comment continuation from the palace. <laughs> They're not going to say anything. I think even when Spare, that's the name yeah. of the autobiography, comes out next week, I don't suppose there'll be any comment whatsoever. I love that. It really seems the most regal approach. Yes. Now, Liz, you live in New York now. Um, what is the reaction to all of this over there? Honestly, I don't really follow the royals. Yeah, it's fair <laughs> that's enough. That's fine. That's totally um, fine. But but I mean, yeah, people have something to say, obviously, about about them, especially yeah. with their Netflix special. Oh yes. So that's been a really like talk of the town. Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, we interviewed somebody just uh, before Christmas, and he mentioned that he'd watched it. I remember now. Yes. Yeah, it was the doctor. He he watched it at one point five speed, which I didn't know you could do with a Netflix series. You can you can increase the speed at which you watch. It. I thought that was rather brilliant, actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And but he did say that it had changed his opinion a bit. I it remember did. That, that I was quite struck by that because yeah. he, he, he was speaking from the UK and and obviously, you know, they, they get such a bad press in the UK and he said actually watching the Netflix series had given yeah. him some 
change in opinion about uh, the the especially the the press attitude to them. Yeah, and of course we always keep in mind that the reason Harry has such a fixation on the press, even though he's <laughs> he's also uh, talking to the press all the yes. time, <laughs> is because of what happened to his mother. Yeah. So, yeah, that story, I'm sure, will reappear in the weeks to come. (laughs) Now, uh, a very important story here for Luxembourg, the Amazon story. A lot of job cuts. Yeah, no, that that is, I mean, it was one of the most read articles here. Um, You know, they they announced uh, worldwide job cuts in November, 10,000. And now, uh, this week, announced another 18,000 and saying, you know, that includes Europe. So I think there are a lot of people living here and obviously have moved here for jobs in Amazon um, who are worried because the, they haven't announced what, what jobs or in what areas they're going. They're saying, Amazon are saying that they, they hired a lot of people during COVID. There was yeah. such a surge and that this is a kind of natural... This is what's happened to a lot of tech companies. Yes. They overhired as a need because everybody's online during yeah. COVID. And now, of course, there's an excess, a glut. And uh, so I not, think, yes, people are terribly worried, aren't they? Yes. It must be. Yeah. It's not exactly Elon Musk Twitter kind of exodus, but it's uh, it's nonetheless it's worrying. Yes. It's a very large number. Um, I really liked this story, uh, which again really focuses on Luxembourg. Um, it is not uh, climate friendly. We do have climate stories as well all the time, but the top 10 car brands in Luxembourg. <laughs> I read this as well myself and I was going through, I was thinking, is my car on this? <laughs> it's not. But um, yeah, so t- I, talk us through the top 10 brands in Luxembourg. Oh, and of course, we've had other stories about cars, which is that I think Luxembourg has the most luxury brands in Europe. And what a surprise. What a surprise. But on, in the top 10, they're not particularly luxury brands. No, I was surprised That's by that. That's what surprised me because yes. I always think, oh, people drive these enormous cars in Luxembourg. <laughs> and actually the Fiat 500, which is such a dinky little car, uh, was number two. So um, I think maybe even here attitudes are changing. Yes. Do you know, uh, actually, one of my friends also, when I was back in in the UK, in London, she's just bought a Fiat 500. We're not marketing the Fiat 500. (laughs) You've got a Fiat 500. (laughs) It's a great, gorgeous car. Very fashionable, of course. You have one. Um, And they are really fun cars. And easy to park. But the reason she had it is because London's introduced this ULEZ tax. So it's so expensive now yes. to drive because of emissions and various things. So I think um, at least in London, I know a lot of people are now choosing cars um, because they're being taxed for output emission reasons, which is a good climate reason. But you're absolutely right. The top 10 cars were not the big flashy ones. No, not at all. And, uh, you know, Volkswagen is in the top three. It's 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 Luxembourg's favourite brand. So that seems very safe middle ground kind of car uh so yes i I mean we all love driving on cars but i was surprised that they're not more electric cars that that are not uh, bigger cars out there they seem to be uh pretty standard kind of cars peugeot 308s yeah yeah uh, there was another peugeot wasn't that was the top of the list peugeot 208 um so they, yeah, they seem quite average. And maybe we are turning more into like sort of Paris where people just have tiny, tiny little electric cars and squeeze them into the smaller spaces. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, I suppose the, the counter story to that is this story about climate change and skiing. Yes, again, very widely read here in Luxembourg because it looks like everyone's skiing holidays are majorly on hold this year. The the you know it's the warmest January on record in Europe, and 
in the Alps. They have recorded 20 degrees plus in many places where they should be in minus temperatures. So obviously there is no snow. So even though we, we know skiing is not particularly climate friendly, but if they are even having to use artificial snow guns above 2000 metres, then we know there's, there's something wrong. Plus there was a report today that half of the world's glaciers uh, will melt away by 2100, even if we stick to 1.5 uh, mm. degree um, increase in, in temperature. So, you know, the, you feel the writing is on the wall that we will just, it's its one of those things that we'll tell our children that, uh, you know, people used to ski in the Alps. It's, it's not so something sad. that's going to be possible anymore. It's really, really sad. But I have to finish on a positive yes go on let's have a positive so my question to you if you haven't seen the story is what is the most popular girl's name in uh luxembourg do you know for babies newborn babies this year or well that's a good question this year uh, yes, or this last year, year 2022. Uh, in 2022 which ranked the top of the list girl's name oh you can give me one of the top the three guess alina oh no no that's unusual oh, yes no, I think lots like of more alinas like... in the last couple have you yeah Oh, no, it wasn't Alina. I think something more standard. Yes, it was something more standard. Give me a standard name. Anne? Uh, along those uh, lines, yeah. it's um, Emma. Emma. Okay. Emma, which uh, yeah. is not a very Luxembourgish name no. particularly, but uh, it's yeah. a lovely name. Lovely and followed name. by Mia and Mila. Mm. Yeah, Mila is unusual. Mm. I thought so. Yeah. But what I, I really liked, uh, they didn't sound particularly Luxembourgish to me, was that the boys' names, there wasn't a clear favourite. So I just have it like, you know, girls. It's, 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 it's. And then when it comes to the boys, it's like Liam, Gabriel and Noah. None of them, I mean, I, none of them particularly Luxembourgish sounding no. either. It must have been a lot of Irish was, boys. <laughs> that's why I was like, Liam, surely only if you have an Irish parent. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, maybe it's like, I remember when, when I was young and Home Alone came out in Germany and uh, suddenly there were loads and loads of Kevins in Germany and that, that was not <laughs> a typically German name no, either. No, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I'm looking at the girls' names in particular, Emma, Mia and Mila and I know a lot of dual nationality families, they have to try to pick a name that works in every language that they speak. Mm. So perhaps there's a bit of that going on as well. Well, I remember my neighbour telling me uh, when she had a baby that you get a bonus for using a Luxembourgish name <gasps> you get a little cash bonus because uh, oh my I remember God. she called her son uh, <laughs> Pitt which is uh, a, a Luxembourgish derivation of Peter yeah, yeah. or Pierre yeah, yeah. and uh, I think I don't know how much she got but she, she got she got some cash oh my God God, that is a very interesting fact, Sasha. And I wonder if that still exists. I don't know. Maybe not. Well, thank you as always for that lovely oh, round of news. It's a pleasure. And nice I, to be back in 2023. great to have you here with your wonderful warm spirit as always. And you're going to stick with us for this yes, conversation absolutely. anyhow. The Lisa Burke Show. Well, now to introduce my lovely fashionista guests, we've got Liz Brewer opposite me, who is co-founder of the New Normal Bureau in New York and an alumni of the Fashion Institute of Technology. Welcome to you, Liz. And I'm going to introduce directly as well, Lainey Jane McCormack, who is a trained cord wainer. I love this word. <laughs> it's my word of the day, which is, for those of us who don't know, because it's a very unusual word, a shoemaker at the London College of Fashion, where she also lectured. 
and she's worked for many established brands and moved to Luxembourg, I think, five years ago, was it? Yes. So, yes. Well, welcome to you both, ladies. It's so great to have you here in Luxembourg and here with me today. Now, I, you are Luxembourgish, Liz, but you yes. live in New York. That's right. Born and raised native Luxembourger. Yes. Well, now, I had a wonderful chat with you during the week. And of course, we've met before about the work that you do. But... Um, in our chat, you said that from the age of about 10, you wanted to work in fashion. Yeah, that's right. There was a passion from literally like a young age on. And then when, you know, I was 10 years old, I was, I'm going to work in fashion. Initially design wise, and then later decided to go the business route. And then I was thinking and we were chatting and I was looking at the schools here in Luxembourg. Yeah. There isn't much help when it comes to a student who might want to work in fashion. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And did the very traditional Luxembourgish high school experience and then kind of developed my passion on the side. Yeah, so yeah. for those of us who know the Luxembourgish schools, you went to Lycée des Garçons, which is an excellent, yeah. uh, as you say, uh, traditional school <laughs> in Luxembourg. Yeah. Yeah. I know there are a couple of schools and I did uh, reach out to them. Um, one of the ladies who's, who teaches at Hermesinda, she teaches mm. textiles there. Uh, Hermesinda do have a different approach to learning and it's very project-based and trying for students to find their métier of the future. Um, she was on a ferry to the UK at the time, so she she might come and chat to us another time. And there is also Arie Métier, but I couldn't see a textile course there or a fashion course there. So effectively, all of this is to say that there isn't much help when it comes to wanting to pursue fashion in Luxembourg. Yeah, it's not it's like the help is one part, but it's even you're not really exposed to the opportunities that could exist in a creative field. So how did you push through that then? <laughs> I think I think growing up, I just I think I always loved fashion of just like getting dressed up and reading fashion magazines. And so like it was definitely something that came up from a personal point of view. Like no one really told me about this. I guess my dad was always interested in like design. My mom used to be an art director. So I guess somehow it was in my blood. Um, but then, yeah, when I did my seven years in high school, it was something that I could put kind of in a back burner. And by the way, we have to say that you finished in the math section of the Luxembourg. Yeah, system. so not even like the <laughs> section about art, right? Like I did the very traditional route and I have no regrets. Like I, I really love it since I love math too. Um, Good for business. Exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm doing the finances now. Um, but but yeah, it was something that um, it's, I think it's a pity that it's not really being presented more as, an op- as a viable career opportunity. But one reason I have you here today is to show hope to young people yes. <laughs> and you are going to be at least a vocal mentor to young people coming up who think, oh, I like fashion, which is a huge world and we'll get into that mm. a little bit too. Uh, but not only that, that you had this love for pursuing it, you then went to New York to pursue it. You didn't study in Europe, which is the more, again, traditional route. Mm. You chose to go to this really famous Fashion Institute of Technology in New York. Mm. So why did you think of that? How did you even know about it? Right. So my dad used to travel a lot for work and he went to New York quite a bit. And since he knew that I wanted to pursue somewhat of a career in fashion, he came across, I think it was both Parsons, the new school, which is in New York, as well as FIT. And I think FIT in particular, they had a really good business program, which again, he knew like, he okay, liked that. she's not going to go to like, the design <laughs> side because she's not that talented. Oh. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but like the business side is really what I wanted to like pursue as I got older. And he kind of 
like brought me a catalog and he's like look at this school and fell in love with it a few years later took a campus tour and I was like okay this is it like this it's this or nothing and you know even like looking at like different schools in you know Europe or even in in the US FIT was always ranked as like the highest one so I'm like if I'm gonna do something I want to go to the best school and that's kind of like where I was at but also because I always wanted to go and move to the US in the first place so it was like okay kind of singled out um, the US as an opportunity. And now you've created your own, well, co-founded the New Normal Bureau. So what is the New Normal Bureau? Yes. So the New Normal Bureau, we founded in August of 2020 in the middle of the pandemic, but we are a purpose-driven marketing agency. So we kind of combine, um, you know, purpose-driven communication and sustainable progression for brands and organizations so that we can pretty much treat sustainability as the baseline, aka the new normal. We work with fashion brands, beauty brands, tech brands, and we help them with their communications. And now we're also working on the sustainability consultancy side. So we don't want to just work with brands that are already sustainable. Otherwise, we would partake in greenwashing, which is like the opposite of what we obviously want to do. But we also want to help brands who aren't there yet to become more sustainable um, and then help them with the communications of that. Well, congratulations, because you're uh, a young lady and you've done a lot. Does that communications agency fulfill your desire to work in fashion? Is it enough? So we work while we work with fashion brands, we don't exclusively, you know, focus on just fashion. Yes. Um, I think I've I've worked in fashion for, you know, seven years. So I kind of like really got exposed to the industry, um, the good, the bad, the ugly, especially in New York. There's a ton of stories there, too. Tell us some. <laughs> Go on, give us give us a few of those stories. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. Have you guys seen The Devil Wears Prada? Yes. Yeah. So that's that movie is more True. documentary than like uh, <laughs> just a movie. It's yeah. And it's scary, right? Because I used to watch that movie and be like, oh, you know, like this doesn't seem too bad. And then you're actually living through it. And, you know, like I used to start off in luxury fashion and while I was just an intern, you really you really feel that you're just an intern and they they don't treat you well. And, you know, I've had a company that was in the middle of a lawsuit because of it. I've had, you know, they wanted to put us in a closet because they didn't want to even look at interns. Yeah, I've, I mean, there's so many. Put you um, in a closet. I mean, yeah, interns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many stories. Um, but, you know, you grow a thick skin and you just kind of move on. And But later on, you know, I was like, okay, I love fashion and I still like want to have a foot in it. But I also love the beauty industry, the tech industry. Um, and I but see that I all don't understand together. why that hasn't changed. You know, we're, we're here talking about sustainability and <laughs> yeah. it's all part of this ESG umbrella. Right. And part of that ESG umbrella is the social aspect and how mm. people treat one another. Of course. Can so, I add something to this? Please do. Have, um, the London College of Fashion has started running an MSc in fashion psychology. And I have a friend who's studying at the yeah. moment and she her dissertation is on toxic management because she's been through the Devil Wears Prada in many different companies mm. and it is such a big thing but the fact that they're running a course now looking into the psychology and people are able to research what's happening in the workplace means it is starting to shift I think because they're becoming aware and actually addressing it yeah you know outwardly now so yeah it's yeah. it's one of these almost uh Weinstein-like uh, situations and sometimes if not more frequently led by women against women yes Yes and no. Um, I think what's really interesting in like the corporate fashion world, which is where again where I started, 
most people that you're directly working with, right, or supervisors, whatever, they're women. But then as soon as you go to the C execs, like the CEOs, COOs, etc., they're all men. So I don't know if it's like a top-down situation. It feels like that, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I listen, I have still friends who are in fashion, and they all say that the reason they don't like their jobs is not because of the actual work that they're doing, but it's because of toxic, you know, management. So why do they continue? <sighs> You know, New York is really competitive and it's it's also like it's not easy to switch just careers from and going 180, right? And you still like love the industry, but I think it's easier said than done. But it's a toxic cycle, right? Like yeah. um and you get it's a very outdated industry too. It is a very outdated attitude, that's for sure. And let's hope it changes. You did yeah. say New York is very competitive, yeah. which is obviously known. So why did you stay there to set up your agency there? Because that's not an easy thing for a young lady in New York right. to do. I mean, I love a challenge. Like, I, I think, you know, I wouldn't have moved at 19 to New York if I wanted to go the easy route. Like, I knew from the start that this was not going to be easy. Um, it isn't easy even today. But I don't know. I don't see a different path. I mean, like, I like to be challenged constantly. Um, have always been that way. And yeah, that's why I'm, I'm continuing to stay. And we do have, there is um, an office in Luxembourg, a uh, uh, Luxembourg Trade Investment Office. Mm. Did they help you? <laughs> Are we exposing them right now? <laughs> no, I just wondered what the help was. I mean, no. well, because part of your story is what help did you get? No, no. I mean, outside help, no. You know, we're entirely self-funded agency. Like, you know, um, it's it's myself and, and my co-founder, obviously, but no. Networking I mean, help, networking help. Networking help, no. I kind of, you know, I moved to New York in 19 by myself. I said yes to everything. I didn't know a single person. So I kind of just, like, even internships, right? Like, I, I literally, like, tried to get my foot in, in every door that I could. And, you know, I had six internships by the time I graduated, but just, like, cold outreach. Yeah, um, Well, I think maybe part of it is because, as we previously said, fashion hasn't been on the spectrum of Luxembourg Industries mm. so far. But perhaps you will change this yeah. and you will bring back the mentorship Listen, that's needed Listen, any here. Luxembourgers who come to New York now, I'm like, please, like, if you want help, I'll gladly, like, you know, help you in that regard, whether it's networking or... What a wonderful call out. My goodness, <laughs> yeah. And she's so going to be inundated, isn't she? Oh my gosh, this is so nice that you've said that. No, because like, <laughs> I know what it's like if you're all by yourself and you don't know anyone and it is harder. So if I can make it easier for someone, like, why not? That I don't, I'm not a lovely offer. Yeah. That's such a lovely offer. And it's so nice for young people to see somebody like you, still young, <laughs> beautiful, gorgeously turned out. You know, we were saying, Sasha and I were saying, oh, we were a little bit intimidated by these fashionistas coming Absolutely. in today. <laughs> Uh, but what a lovely kind offer and you're you're spearheading the way forward. Now, again, on our um, chat, mm. you did mention that in this business, you've also confronted sexism. Yeah, unfortunately. I, I wish it wasn't the case, but it's a question I've I've gotten like more recently because I don't really talk about it unless someone asks me about it. I feel like I don't want to put more of a spotlight on it. But yeah, I think being a, a, a woman and then being young at that and, you know, wanting to be honestly taken seriously, um, it hasn't always been the case, whether it's a combination of mansplaining or, you know, that's totally unnecessary or having, you know, like, let's say exchanging business cards and, you know, you want to actually like pursue a business relation with that person. And then you get a text later on, like, do you want to grab a drink? Like, it's those things or, you know, making having made comments about your appearance. Like, I've I've heard it all and I just kind of like, 
you know, I, I take it, I move on because I don't want to give more attention to it. But yeah, it happens, unfortunately. What are your tips to people who get that call? You know, if you've given somebody your number on a on a business <laughs> conversation and they call you and ask you out for dinner or for a drink and obviously you don't pursue no. that yeah. for a business point yeah. of view. Yeah. How do you suggest to others they they have that conversation, whether it be by text, email, whichever way, mm. so that... Or is it possible to continue a business relationship with such a person? I mean, usually, like, I would say I'm very blunt when it comes to those things. And if I don't like something, like, I will speak up and say something. You've become very New York. (laughs) I know, I know, I know, I know, I have, I have. I try to be obviously as kind as I can. I'm not trying to be rude, but I I do want to make it a point of like, hey, this is is obviously not reciprocated. Um, I don't appreciate this. And, you know, either, either we can move on from this or I just move on and, you know, there's other people that I can do business with. I don't need What percentage to. of men take that well? Oh God, I, I, I haven't, you know, tried. <laughs> <laughs> you get a lot of offers, my dear. No surprise there at all. No surprise. Um, just thinking about the work that you do, um, customers, it's all about the customer at the end of the day. Do you think nowadays we as customers are more active in our choices? It's obviously part of why we started the agency, right? The reason was to really, I always said when it, I kind of like dialing it back, right? The reason why we started the agency is because we felt when it came to sustainable brands, which is obviously like on the, on the rise, but whatever industry they're currently partaking in, their marketing was either too granola or too elitist. We want to bridge the gap because people don't want to, they're not necessarily like hipsters and tree huggers and they're not really like, you know, super elitist. So we kind of want to speak to, like, work with brands that are speaking to the people in the middle of that so that we can get as many people involved in the sustainability movement as possible. Um, and, and and yes, like, we obviously want to um, educate people. We want to raise awareness. We want to show you these are all, you know, brands that are doing amazing stuff. There's a lot of startups, obviously. They just need more eyeballs on them. And we want to increase the value proposition of them. Why you as a customer should vote for like vote with your dollars and and you know basically support this brand as opposed to their non-sustainable counterpart. And how do you do that for the brands? How do you get more eyeballs on them as you say? It's a mix of, you know, we obviously approach everything from a strategic point of view. Um we obviously like work a lot with amazing content that, you know, draws people in. Everyone lives on social these days, so like how can you make it visually appealing? Um we work a lot with pre- partnerships whether it's with other brands that are aligned or mission aligned influencers, content creators, you know, tastemakers, thought leaders. Um we also focus obviously on digital marketing, so it's really like a holistic approach when it comes to market that we want to take um it's events as well um so the yeah, whole mix the whole bag. exactly exactly whole marketing mix well incredible story liz and we wish you all the best you. with your wonderful successes that you've had so far all self-driven in new york mm-hmm. and i will remember that call out maybe even if i'm just visiting new york <laughs> i might just say <laughs> hey liz hi <laughs> i think we really need liz in luxembourg though, because well, when i go shopping yes. for example for mm-hmm. clothes it's in Luxembourg, it's sort of like CNA or MS. There seems to be very little middle go. ground. There you go. That's the, I, I, that's oh, my I personal there experience. Are, there are a few stylists, may, maybe less than a handful, but there are stylists who will help you with that. Uh-huh. Guide you to find those gems. I'll have to ask yeah. you after the show. Oh yes, <laughs> now we might have. Yes, I, I I know a couple of those actually. I I fully agree with you. And in fact, I remember I remember when I first came to Luxembourg, um, I thought. 
I can't shop here. There's not, not that yeah. I, I'm not a major shopper anyway, of course, but uh, occasionally. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, and then my sister came over for, for a birthday of mine a few years ago and she walked down one of those main streets where you get yeah. a lot of the posh shops and she said, I could shop here. <laughs> yeah. no, I really wish we had like more young designer, like Luxembourg yes. designers. Um, but that's not a thing with like Luxembourg and rent being so expensive and it's just not being a a very good I don't know like yeah. ground for for to foster young talent but you, you made a very valid point there yeah. Sasha as always and I have no doubt that we will have Liz in Luxembourg in the future I think so I'm <laughs> sure this this brand the new normal bureau in New York will not just be New York on that tote bag after a little Global. while it'll be it'll be it'll have all the cities there, there, there Liz you thank you so much thank you. thank you Lisa Burke on RTL Today Radio now, as alluded to, we also have Lainey Jane McCormack, who is a trained court waner. Love this word, <laughs> shoemaker, and uh, studied in London College of Fashion, etc., 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 and now here in Luxembourg. So many wonderful things to talk about with you, Liz. Um, and of course, I have to mention that the way in which we first reached out to one another was because my darling dog had eaten a lot of my shoes. And I think I put on one of those Facebook groups, the Ladies of Luxembourg. Um, my dog has eaten a lot of my shoes. Obviously, just one of the pair of shoes is there any way any of these shoes are redeemable and she'd eaten quite a few pairs of shoes that I quite liked and uh, you were the one that I, I was put in touch with being a court wainer and you basically said no they're not salvageable chuck <laughs> oh, them yeah. in the bin <laughs> anyway a, a fruitful relationship therein so uh also, when I was reading about you, apart from everything else, one of the things that made me sad reading about your bio is that you said when you arrived in Luxembourg, uh, you felt it was quite conservative and you had to tone down your colour and sparkle. I have, so I have to say, I do feel bad now saying this. That is not completely accurate. But when you first move as an expat to a country from like London, from London, yeah, you do want to conform to the stereotype a little bit to fit in until you find your feet and you know where your norm is. Um, so I kind of did that. I also had two babies, to be fair. So I was wearing black for a long time. I completely and understand. Everything is coming back out now. So yeah. <laughs> and, and no white and nothing that hasn't got a pattern in case there's some oh, like yes. puke on your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those wonderful days of babyhood. Just a joy. Now followed by teenagedom. Oh, even better. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, we'll, we'll leave that for another time. Um, but you have got your sparkle back. You've got your business back. And talking about finding your tribe, another wonderful thing that you have is you are part of the Lux tribe of mad hatters. <laughs> They're going to love me for oh, adding them in. you. Isn't oh. this great? Well, I mean, a friend of mine is the, the organiser, but I do try and input a little bit where I can. But I think it's a fantastic social gathering to encourage people to display their you know fashion is about displaying who you are outwardly and it's a chance to do that in a more uh traditional yeah. country where people don't necessarily dress like this all the time so. no but isn't that just great the lux tribe of mad hatters <laughs> Love that. Love i mean wouldn't you want to just join that group for so many reasons so Feel many free. reasons <laughs> yeah i, I, I need you need to <laughs> I, I need more headgear maybe we should we should have worn headgear today i should have i should have brought in some headgear um now we're going to go back to your story why did you want to train as a shoemaker so I had actually not a dissimilar upbringing to Liz, but in a British school system. I grew up in the southwest of England in a convent school run by nuns, and it was your core subjects and fine art. Um, and then I moved to the London suburbs because actually my family's from there, my grandparents originally. 
And as a teenager, I went to a similar school. And then one day my, uh, you know, art was my thing, though, not academia, not maths. And one day my um, my art teacher said to me when we were looking at our options for A-levels and what next, he said, why don't you look at the London College of Fashion? And nobody had ever mentioned this to me before. But when I look back as a teenager, I was expressing myself through clothing. I lived with my grandmother as a teenager and she also used to make costumes for the th- little local theatre companies. So I think when I was at home, although we didn't discuss it much, the creativity was around me. Um, so my teacher then suggested this and I went to the London College of Fashion and I chose footwear because I think with art and sculpture, you focus on the detail and I get lost in the detail. And I did try full on fashion clothing and I would be late for all my assignments because I was getting lost in the detail of a buckle or a belt. So I then went into footwear because it suits who I am and the way that I have my eye for detail. Um, it's very niche. Um, and since then, I've now gone on to study the business side with it because I realised that actually you do need a mix of both in order to make it work because I love design, but I am not the world's best designer. So you have to find your niche and then work with that to make a career from it. Well, I don't necessarily think that the most famous designers are the best designers. That That's not always the case. It's a whole combination of many, many skills. But you do mm-hmm. touch on a very good point there. And you're absolutely I mean, I love your story of explaining that the sculpture, the craft of the detail of a shoe. Um, and with that story, I was also looking at your fabulous website. And they are uh, the thing that struck me was these are like pieces of art. You are actually creating pieces of art. And there were other facets to this story as well. You're creating bespoke pieces for a person that can last not just one lifetime, but you did a fabulous in- internship or was it you were working with John I was John working Lobb? there, yeah. So I took my master's and that was looking at traditional production methods and I chose within footwear because that was my speciality. And I was looking at how technology is starting to take over the traditional craftsmanship. And I worked there and I used their traditional methods and learned about them and spoke to them about how they are incorporating technology and how they are keeping their business running 200 years later. We have to say this company is John Um, Lobb. Yeah, it's John Lobb, but it's not the branded name that you see in all the cities across the world. It's the traditional shop in London, which always stood before, I think it was Hermes that bought out the brand name. Um, And they still make them in the shop. They still have the royal warrant and they produce shoes for the royal family. And we had um, customers coming in, a lot of them with foot problems, and you produce shoes for them. But because they're made so well and they're comfortable, they will then wear the shoes for the rest of their life. If their feet change shape, they can come back and we can adapt the shoes um, we had um, thinking of the sustainability side of things we had a grandson of someone come in with seven pairs of his granddad's shoes his granddad had passed away and he had these shoes and he thought let's see what I can do with them so we measured his feet we soaked the shoes the leather stretches when you soak it and you can adapt it and we took the soles off we rebuilt the shoe, put the new sole back on and they fit him. So because he was a completely different size. He was, okay. he was two sizes smaller. So you can adapt the leather a lot. And it's you look at leather now and think, oh, that's not sustainable. It's not ethically produced, etc., etc. But actually, those shoes have never gone into landfill. They are still being worn by somebody. Um, and it's a byproduct of your food if you source it from the right supplier, etc. So these can be really sustainable as well. But it's a more traditional, un- untalked about kind of sustainability model than the brands that you see on the high street. It really is. I mean, it goes without saying that a bespoke pair of shoes or you can you can show to the camera and anybody in line can look at your lovely bag if you hold it up, a beautiful bag. And of course, headgear as well, <laughs> because you use the offshoots of the work from the shoes yeah, to exactly. make headgear. And exactly. So I have, I mean, sorry, I'm leaning away right now. I have my little winter berry 
and I have all these beautiful pieces of leather, some of which have been from the bag, and then they will have been made with the shoes as well. So, and actually the headwear, people in Luxembourg love. I came to Luxembourg thinking maybe I won't pursue this, and I have to adapt my experience somewhat. And I would wear my headwear everywhere because it's easier in the rain. And um, <laughs> and everybody's asking for hats now, so yeah. yeah. Well, yes, and perhaps they're a little bit more affordable because a bespoke pair of shoes isn't cheap. No. Not cheap at all. I, I mean, <laughs> when I'm talking about a piece of art, they are you're wearing a piece of art on your feet. But of course, sustainable can move through generations, move through your entire lifetime. It's an investment piece rather than something that you're buying as a piece of fast fashion. Yes. So I'm thinking about your business. If you were to just pursue the cordwainery, if that's a word, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I like it. The, the, sure. the, sure, the shoemaking part of your business. Yeah. You're selling one-off pieces. You don't have to sell many of them, but yeah. you, you, you do need to sell them. So how do you do that from a marketing perspective? How do you sell yourself in a world where you know some customers who might have the amount of money to spend on such a pair of shoes... They want the label. They want the whatever label they're going for without suggesting any labels. So how do you, you know, dive through that? It's honestly, it's I've tried everything since COVID because COVID encouraged me to go from the very, very traditional couture trunk show model, which works, to doing everything online, which unfortunately does not really work with this kind of product. Um, We... I used to have a partner in England. We still work together sometimes. He worked for Lobs. He left and he now continues to do trunk shows. You go to New York, you go to Paris, you take a display of the samples of your footwear with you. You make appointments with customers that you have obtained through word of mouth. It is word of mouth. And then you make an appointment over a few days and you take the measurements and you see people face to face you don't even need a website when I mean I set up the website and I remember consciously making the decision to do so because everybody needs a website now Mm. but actually I was already having more sales than before Covid with the website uh, with word of mouth than setting up the website and being online Um, and that is for me still the way that things are going I wear a hat I bump into somebody and they place an order it's not people who are going online and googling bespoke footwear. No, or, you know, it's <laughs> well. A lot of people don't even know it exists. Yeah, that, I mean, that's another point here. I, a lot of people don't even know about this artistry. Actually, a lot of the designer brands that you see there, that you know, we have in Luxembourg on the high street, they also still do bespoke footwear. But you have to know to have the conversation with somebody there because it is a real, real niche. So this, this is why I do the hats and the other products, and I do crafting sessions and things like this as well because it's so niche. You have to have. Uh, more to your portfolio than just the footwear. (laughs) Yeah, you have to be multifaceted. And I think that's something that I I certainly felt from both of your stories. And just opening up the conversation more generally, if you are thinking about advising a young person who might be listening to this, who wants to work in the world of fashion, you've already said it's great to have that business side of things because you don't just need the artistry, you need that combination. Yeah, And you, you actually went on a course that had that business side of things integrated into it. So you think it's an important... I mean, the question... I didn't give you a question. <laughs> Let me f- find a question here. I mean, I, I'm trying to think what skill set do you need to be able to work in this huge and tough world of fashion? Because I imagine most people coming out of whichever fashion course they've done at university, yeah. they don't know what they want to do because they have to go through those internships to kind of figure out what works, what doesn't work. Yes. So I think you just said it. Experience, experience... Like, 
try everything and see what really st- like sticks. Because the thing is, even today, people still think, oh, you did fashion? Oh, you're, you're like, you make clothes in New York. And I'm like, no, no, no. The fashion is a multi-billion dollar industry. There's obviously, you have buyers, you have marketers, you have PR, you have like, it, there's designer, but even within designers, there's so much. So there's tons and tons of career opportunities. So first, like intern, network, talk to people, like whatever, so that you can figure out what you really like. I think from a skill point of view, yes, you you don't have to go to fashion school. I mean, again, it's an option, but you can also go to business school and still work in fashion like it happens all the time. Um, from a design perspective, people who haven't gone to design school still manage to like, you know, design. It really depends there. But I think the I can skills, think of a few celebrities there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But they have, you know, obviously like with money, you can obviously do anything. But um, I think the skills you more so need is from a character perspective. Like it is a very, very hard in industry and you have to have really thick skin and be resilient because while people just think oh yeah it's fun and it's glamorous like it is not and that is something that I would really like it's almost like how do you get that discipline and resilience within you it's a bit like the pastoral care that you said earlier in schools I think when you're learning when you realize you want to go into fashion and you are in your early steps you need a mentor or somebody there to guide you to say you know what it's not all prettiness and design actually you've got to be prepared for this, um, the politics in the workplace yeah. and how to get ahead if you really want to pursue it as a career. Yeah. Um, I was just going to add to what Liz said as well. Find a mentor, no matter whether you're entering university or in uh, certainly in that last year of university, find yourself a mentor. And it doesn't have to be somebody with the label mentor. It can just be you reaching out to someone on LinkedIn if you like their profile. And like Liz mm. said, they might be completely happy to be willing to give you five minutes of their time or, you know, a lot of their time to help guide you. And mm. they will maybe be able to see your strengths that you can't necessarily see in yourself, yeah. which helps guide you. So you're going out then asking for experience in a more specific area that will help you. Yeah. And I just want to add something that Lainey said with mentorship. It doesn't always have to be a person that is way above you. Peer mentorship is also something that I really value, like people who are maybe on a similar lev- level as you, if you will, um, but who bring in a different skill set, putting yourself together with them, um, you know, does not always have to be like this, you know, CEO. It can be someone on, you know, an associate as well. Yeah, and you can fresh help one another. On, fresh eyes exactly. on who you are, because yeah. you only see from in your own head. So, yeah. And that's not always a happy place. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. Unless we've done five hours of meditating every day for a year or something, which uh, anyway, most people don't have time to do. Anyway, that's a Jay Shetty podcast, not ours. <laughs> there you go. I loved it. I think it's so interesting. Yes, interrupt. please. So interesting, because I think a lot of, uh, when you were talking about sexism in the workplace and you, you you think of models having these problems you don't necessarily think about people working in the fashion industry <laughs> yeah. having the same issues well I also thought of the media world because yes. we have had a bit of that in the in the past it, it's it's but I think it's changed a lot. I think it has changed. Yeah, the media to, world seems to have yeah. changed enormously. I think so, because we can talk about it. Yeah, we really can talk about yeah. it. <laughs> I think more people need to talk about it. And then if something like this occurs, there needs to be action taken for it to be taken seriously. Because I've been in situations and I've been at job places where there has been like more serious <laughs> accusations made. And, you know, even like the founder of a company that I used to work at, he was actually removed from the company because, you know, there was a whole lawsuit. And, uh, 
yeah, long story short, um, there needs to be action taken so that actually like when this happens in the future, you as a woman or as a man, who like whatever you identify as can actually feel comfortable to speak up. Um, because yeah. if you feel like you're not being heard in the workplace, I think that's another issue. Well, it's another issue of your morale, because if you don't feel yeah. heard, you can't feel happy in a place at all. A lot all. of people don't feel, and in the fashion industry especially. And that's why people are unhappy and quitting and, you know. Yeah, and it's such a shame to lose that creativity yeah, that exactly. they can give to the world. So bringing it back to Luxembourg then, you have you have now got many things on your fingertips, yeah. along with your two little <laughs> girls, which I'm sure keep you very busy indeed. But you do run little courses, educational courses. I do. And actually, I'm trying to work more with younger children now as well, because I think something that's missing is learning about how you, I think in a traditional academic system, your creativity is suppressed somewhat because you have to get the grades, the, the math you know everything um and what I like to do when I teach because I'm a qualified teacher is um teach you just happen to become a qualified teacher on the side as well I did this (laughs) I was working for myself and what I realized is I was going into the university doing the guest lecturing but actually if you want to reach teenagers or younger children certainly in the UK you have to have a teaching qualification I think you can still go into schools as a guest but you can't actually teach every day um and what I wanted to do is work with, I love working with individuals and working out what their gift is, their specialism, and then helping them to release that. And the younger that you go, actually, for me, the more joy I get from it every day because kids want to learn. They love it and they love being creative. So I get to make. They want to learn what you're doing. I mean, this is the difference. They don't always want to learn what they're fed and they have to ingest and exactly. it, it doesn't come across yeah well we could have another podcast on the educational system I'm quite sure we could have many podcasts on the educational system but really one reason I wanted to bring you here together was when I heard your story Liz of not having that help here in Luxembourg and I think we've all seen that there are very traditional schools here we can open up that at least by conversation we can open it up to to say to people who are listening you know hey I'm here I did it I can show you an example you can come and talk to me I'm doing these courses you can come and we can chat with children and you know that one-on-one conversation makes such a difference Mm. to a young person Mm. it really does and I think it's also for me there's something that it gives them of the stress release that you know they go into school every day they sit at a table even for adults they go to work they sit at a table and then they come to me and we make something and they're, they're in the zone you can see them they're so focused but they're happy because it's a happy place to be the flow state yeah it's really lovely to see um so that's why i do it and i also it's a nice way to encourage the sustainability and spreading the word of upcycling and recycling things so i do a lot of that in my courses as well well laney we will link to your courses your website and your wonderful work so if anybody wants a beautiful artisanal uh, pair of shoes uh, perhaps for next christmas save up for next christmas <laughs> or any birthday in between and and Liz, we will just follow your your successes with the New Normal Bureau in New York with, with great excitement. And next time you're over in Luxembourg, give us a, a call out again and <laughs> some mentorship for some locals here as well. But of course, now since COVID, we all know we can, we can mentor online. It's yeah. all possible online too. <laughs> so any final words to our listeners? I mean, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> it's a great pleasure to have you. Sasha, any final words? Oh, it was great. Um, I, I also can't think of any particular final words, but um, I, I'm still interested in, in the fact that Liz doesn't do greenwashing. But that's another huge subject, isn't it? <gasps> oh, oh <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. I picked up that word because I've only just heard, I oh, heard it for the first one. time about two months ago and I was like what is greenwashing? Oh I was very slow on the uptake. Mm -hmm. Blue washing? Mm. What's blue washing? In fashion. Blue washing. What is blue washing? 
um, specifically targeted towards like the oceans. Oh, okay. right. Okay, gosh, I'm learning more. Well, well, with that final note, thank you all so much. I'm going to have to now Google and think about what to do on blue washing and green washing. We can have another story on that in times in the future. But for everybody listening, thank you so much as always for, for watching us on RTL Play, for joining us at RTL Today Radio on the podcast, Apple, Spotify. I would love to hear your feedback. I'd love to know what you want to hear more of. Please write to me and tell me what stories in Luxembourg or abroad I know we've got listener support as well would you like to hear and then I will try to find our wonderful guests here in Luxembourg or somewhere between Luxembourg and abroad as so many of us are and we will bring those stories to you with with great delight have a wonderful start to the new year 